And happy Christmas Eve. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, so we've been lighting uh, Advent candles for the four Sundays in December. We lit the first candle of hope, peace, joy last week, and this week the love candle. These are powerful forces that we're commemorating, that we're remembering when we light these candles. But in my opinion, love is the most powerful of all of them. Love is the greatest of all. The Bible says something like that. There's a New Testament verse that says that these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And they're all great, so you might wonder why the Bible says the greatest of these is love. As I've thought about it, I've come to this conclusion. Faith is a powerful force. I believe in Jesus by faith, not by sight. And that carries me through in this life. And sometimes it's hard to believe in Jesus by faith, not by sight. I just want to see him. But there will come a day when I will see Jesus face to face. And when I see Jesus face to face, how much faith am I going to need at that point? Not that much, right? Because he's going to be right there. I need faith now to continue to believe in him by faith and not by sight. But once I see him, once he's in my sights, faith will diminish. Same for hope. I hope for what I do not have. I don't hope for what I have, the Bible says. I hope for what I do not have. What I do not have yet is face-to-face -face with Jesus, is eternity in heaven, is that place God's preparing for us that comes next. I hope for that. And hope is a powerful force. It keeps me going in life. But one day I'll have what I hope for. I'll have Jesus face-to-face. -face. I'll be in his presence. I'll go to that room he's preparing for me. I won't need to hope anymore. So there'll come a day when hope will diminish. But love? Love will increase because when I finally do see Jesus face to face, I'm going to understand love in a way I have never understood love before. It's going to take on a whole new meaning because the Bible says God is love and I'm going to be in the presence of love. So while faith might diminish one day and hope might diminish one day, love will increase exponentially one day. So faith, hope, and love, they're all incredibly powerful forces, but the greatest of these is love. And if God is love, as the Bible says, God goes on forever. That means love will go on forever. God is love, the Bible says, so that means God existed before time began. So did love. Love was there before this world was created. Love will be there after this world has passed away. Love goes on forever. So I can confidently say that I believe love is the most powerful force in this universe because God is love. We're celebrating love today at Christmas time because more than anything else, I believe the Christmas story is a love story. The Bible talks all about love. There are verses all over the Bible that say things like this, love is patient, love is kind. Love doesn't envy, love doesn't boast, love doesn't push its own way, love quickly forgives, love doesn't hold a grudge, that God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, that God is love, that if I am in God, I can love. I can love because God loves me first. Love does things like this. Love serves. Love gives. Love puts the needs of the other person first. Love thinks about what the other person needs. Love humbles itself and exalts other people. The Bible is full of verses about love. Because the Bible is a love story. The entire Bible 
is a love story. Christmas is a love story. And I want to share with you what I think is one of the greatest verses for Christmas, the ultimate Christmas verse. And you might be now wondering, what is it? That when the angels talked to the shepherds, when Mary was told she was going to give birth to Jesus, that his name would be Emmanuel, God with us. What's the greatest Christmas verse in Rich's humble opinion? It's this one. John 3, 16 and 17. It says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's love. That's Christmas. That's our Christmas story. God sent his son to come here as a baby, to be our Emmanuel, our Redeemer, our Rescuer, to live a perfectly sinless life and go to the cross for us, to shed his blood so that we could be made new and whole and forgiven and have eternity with the Father in heaven. For God so loved the world. It is jam-packed with love. The full expression of God's love is in that verse. You may remember some years ago, you may have read it, you may have even taken a class in it here at Calvary. Gary Smalley came out with a book called The Five Love Languages. I'm just going to review those really quickly because it helps us think about the fullness of love and how it's expressed. And as I talk about these, I want you to think about which language speaks to you. Because according to Gary Smalley's book, we each have a love language that we understand. Like, I speak English, I don't speak French. If you speak to me in French, I may not understand it. But if you speak to me in English, I'll understand it. The love languages are like that. If you speak to me in my love language, I'm going to get it. If you use a different language, I might know what you're talking about, but I might not understand it as well. So the five of them are these. Um, the first one is on my list is words of affirmation. That you might be a person who really responds to words. Like if someone says to you, I love you, it just resonates in your heart. Or gives you words of affirmation. I think you're wonderful. I think you're amazing. You're so good at this. I'm so proud of you about that. Those kinds of words are your love language. When you hear that, you feel loved. That's one of the five love languages. Second one on my list is touch. Physical human contact. That if somebody touches you, if someone holds your hand or puts their, their hand on your shoulder or on your back, that communicates love to you. This is one of my love languages. When I'm sitting at my, at my I actually work at my dining room table mostly. I was going to say my desk, but that wouldn't be true. When I'm sitting at my dining room table doing some work and Heidi happens to walk by, if she puts her hand on my shoulder, on my back, I'm like, oh, she loves me. It communicates to me. It just <laughs> does. Um, the third one is um, acts of service, a kindness. If someone does something for you, and the, this can be a powerful way to communicate love because for someone to do something to serve you, they have to think about you. They have to think about what you might need and how they could meet that need and what they can do out of kindness to serve and meet that need in you. That's a love language. And if, if that's your language, when someone does something kind for you, you say, oh, that person really cares about me. I feel loved. So that's three. Four, quality time. Just when someone spends time with you. I've got a granddaughter like that. She loves quality time. She loves nothing more than for me to sit with her at her craft desk and watch her do crafts. I'm terrible at crafts. I don't even really like them much. But all I have to do is sit there with her while she cuts things out and draws and she feels loved because I'm spending quality time with her. And the last one is the giving of gifts. It's maybe you, This might be your love language. Give me a gift and I feel loved. It might sound selfish, but that's not how I mean that. 
Uh, if someone gives you a gift, it means they thought about you, they cared about you, they thought about what you might like as a gift, and they got you something to give to you as an expression of love. Those are the five. Words of affirmation, touch, acts of kindness or service, quality time, and gifts. And you're probably thinking, why is he going through this love language and stuff this morning? Because that verse I just read to you says to me that God speaks all five languages. God speaks all five and probably many more love languages than that. Let's think about that. That verse said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God spoke his love. The first thing he did was say, I love you. I'm going to put this in print so you can see it and hear it every time you want to open up your Bible. And it will be right there. My words to you, I love you. The second one was touch. He came as a human. He came as a baby. Now, we might not actually be able to physically touch Jesus today, but he was touchable then, and vicariously, he's touchable now. I can imagine in my mind that Jesus came here as a human. He grew up to be a man who touched people's eyes. He touched people's ears. He touched their hands. He straightened out their arms. Jesus touched and expressed love that way. Now, I know in today's day and age, we have to be careful about how we touch and who we touch. We don't want it to be inappropriate. But God said, you can touch me. I'm going to come there and be accessible. In fact, it always boggles my mind that he came as a baby first. He could have come as a full-grown man. Now, there's, there's a theological reason why he came as a baby. In order to be the perfect substitute for our sin, he had to live a sinless life. He had to live this life and not commit sin, to go to the cross as a perfectly spotless uh, lamb with no blemish to sacrifice for us. He couldn't just appear one day, go to the cross, and then go back to heaven. He had to live that sinless life. So I understand the theological reason why Jesus came as a baby. But maybe there's a love reason here too. What's more accessible than a baby? I might not approach a king. I might be afraid of a president or a governor or a ruler or an emperor. I might not be allowed in their presence. I could be terrified of someone with power. But a baby? Anybody can hold a baby. A baby's completely accessible. That's how God came. So he spoke in the language of touch and words and acts of service. What greater act of service or kindness is there to send, than to send your son? to save us and redeem us. He thought about what we needed. What we needed was redemption. What we needed was forgiveness. What we needed was him, our relationship with him restored. And he said, I'll fix that. I will, I will perform an act of ultimate service and kindness to you so that you can return to me. Quality time? Didn't God say something like, I'll be with you forever? That sounds like quality time to me. And if, when we read about Jesus, he spent time with people. He wasn't always in a hurry to get to the thing that he's headed to, to get something done. Completely interruptible. Stop to be with people. And gifts? Let me just read that again. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The Christmas story is a love story, and it's the full expression of God's love for us. There's a second, another verse. There are a lot of verses. There's another verse that I thought of that I wanted to read to you today about Christmas and about love. It's in 1 John 4.18. It says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. You're probably thinking, why are you reading a verse to us about love and fear on Christmas Day? 
Let's just focus on love. I think my mind jumped to this verse because this year, for some reason, I noticed that this phrase, do not be afraid, appears a lot of times in the, in the Christmas story. In a couple short chapters, in a couple of our Gospels that unfold the Christmas story, the phrase, do not be afraid, is used four times. That's a lot in two chapters. And I had to ask myself, why is that in there? One of the practical reasons is it was coming from an angel who terrified the person they appeared to. So the first thing the angel would say is, don't be afraid. I'm not going to hurt you. But I think there's a deeper reason for it. Because of this verse that says, perfect love drives out fear. Whose love is perfect? Jesus. Whose fear is being driven out? Ours. Where did that fear come from? What are we afraid of? What are you afraid of? I can tell you one thing you're afraid of. You're afraid of God left in your natural self, left in your state of being separated from him. The Bible describes that. I've been trying to make connections this month between things in the Old Testament and things in the New and the Christmas story. So I'm going to make a connection here that brings us all the way back to the beginning. There was once a time and place where there was no fear. Might be hard for us to imagine. Can you imagine a place on this earth, even just a little corner, a little community, a little town, a little neighborhood where there's no fear, no anxiety, no worry? The word fear isn't even used. People don't even know the word because there's no fear in that community. Can you imagine a place like that existing? There was once, back in the Garden of Eden, before Adam and Eve broke their relationship with God, before Adam and Eve sinned, they walked with God every day. They were created to be in relationship with him. There was no fear there. Can you imagine a place where there's no fear? God walked with them in the cool of the day. God interacted with them in the garden. There was no anxiety. There was no worry. They weren't thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow. They weren't worried about what the other person was thinking about them and what motives they might have going on in the back of their minds. They weren't worried that tomorrow they might run out of food or not be able to pay the bills. There was no fear. The word fear wasn't even used at that point. It didn't exist in their experience. So where did this fear come from? It came from their disobedience. God said to them, you can eat from everything I've given you, every tree, Every fruit-bearing plant in this garden is yours, except for one, that one right there. See that tree? The knowledge of good and evil? Don't eat from that one. Well, we know the story of what they did. Eventually, they were tempted, Adam and Eve, and they went over to that tree, and they ate from it. And it wasn't that the fruit was poisoned. It was that their heart was wrong. They made a choice to disobey God and sin. And we could think about sin as, oh, I said something I shouldn't have. I hurt someone's feelings. I did a wrong thing. I lied, or I cheated, or I had an outburst of anger. Those things are all sin in the Bible's description. But the essence of sin is seen right there in Adam and Eve. The essence of sin that you and I have all committed, it's rebellion against God. It's saying, I'll be a better God than you will, God. In fact, I want to be God so that you don't have to be my God anymore. I want to be my own God. That's what Adam and Eve were doing when they ate that apple. <laughs> they were declaring themselves God over the one true God. That was the sin. And when that happened, fear entered the world. I'll read it to you. Genesis 3, verses 8 through 10. 
Adam and Eve had just sinned. Now they were afraid, and they went and hid in a bush. And it says this, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid. Because I was naked, so I hid. I was afraid. This is the first time in the history of humankind that that phrase was ever uttered. I was afraid. Adam and Eve heard God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, the way he did every day. And he knew right where they were. And he knew just what they'd done. But he walked through the cool of the garden and he said, Adam, where are you? Adam said, I'm hiding because I'm afraid. And it says he was afraid because he was naked. Let's not get this mistaken. It wasn't just because they didn't have clothes. They were exposed. They were ashamed. They knew they had done wrong, and they knew God would know it. They knew as soon as he came walking through the garden, he would look at them, and they would deserve punishment for what they'd done. They were afraid, so they hid in the bush, thinking maybe God would pass by without seeing them. This is where fear came from. Never before this moment had Adam and Eve ever been afraid of the presence of God. Now they're afraid and they're hiding from God. Well, God doesn't want to leave it like that because he loves us. Because he loved Adam and Eve and every person he saw coming from them all the way up to you and me. He loved us so much, he said, I can't leave them in this state. I'm going to do something about this. So right there in the garden, right there in Genesis chapter 3, we see the gospel proclaimed. We see this Christmas story announced. We see God's love story start to unfold. Here it is. Now, he has already said to the man, this garden used to be easy for you to work. You would plant seeds, they'd grow easily. The fruit would always be delicious. Never thorns, never weeds. Now, you're going to produce food and fruit by the sweat of your brow. This world that you were in relationship with is now going to work against you. He said this to Adam. And then he says to Eve, he said, you're going to uh, give birth, but it's going to come with great pain. And then he said to the serpent in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That's a Christmas story right there. That's a proclamation of love. It's a declaration, a description of what's to come. What God is saying here is, I'm going to send a child to you. That child is going to be your savior. Now, we know from hindsight, we can look at the Christmas story and say, that child is Jesus. That's Emmanuel, God with us. That God is going to come to us in our flesh and be our Emmanuel, God with us, and he's going to rescue us and save us. He's going to be a child born of a woman, not Eve, but one of Eve's daughters, 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 daughters is going to give birth to this child who will be our Emmanuel, our God with us. And he says, here's what's going to happen. You're going to bite his heel, Satan, but he's going to crush your head. You're going to wound him badly. He's going to bleed. It's going to hurt. It's going to cut deep, Satan. And you're going to think you won, but don't be fooled. You didn't, because when you bite his heel, he's going to crush your head. 
What is being described here? It's Jesus on the cross. When Jesus went to the cross, that was Satan's best shot, bite his heel, wound him deeply, make him bleed, pierce his heart, cut him to the quick. Satan thought he was going to win through that. He thought he was going to beat Jesus on the cross. But that's right where Jesus crushed his head. Crushed his head. Yeah, Jesus died. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And the Bible says he defeated our last enemy, death. No more reason to fear. Because perfect love casts out fear. So when the Bible says, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, it says it four times. When the angel came to Zechariah to tell him, Zechariah, you and your wife Elizabeth, they're going to give birth to a child and he will be the forerunner of the king, saying, prepare ye the way of the Lord, John the Baptist. They said, the angel said, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. I know you're startled now, but do not be afraid because the Savior's coming. When the angel appeared to Mary, he said, don't be afraid, favored one. You will give birth to a son and he will be called Emmanuel and he will save his people from their sins. Do not be afraid, Mary, that I startled you, but do not be afraid, Mary. Do not be afraid because Emmanuel is coming. Love will drive out that fear. And when the angel appeared to Joseph in a dream, he said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Joseph, about the scorn and scandal and the difficulties that are to come. Because, Joseph, don't be afraid. I'm sending a Savior to rescue you and to save you from your sins. And when the angels appeared to the shepherds out in the fields, they said, do not be afraid. We give you uh, glad tidings of great joy that will be for all people. For today in the city of David is born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And they were saying, don't be afraid of all of us. We could wipe you out with a, with a finger. But don't be afraid, shepherds, because Emmanuel has come for you. And let the perfect love of God drive out fear. Do you know how many times the phrase, do not be afraid, is used in the Bible? It's really interesting. 365. 365 times. So do not be afraid. What are you afraid of if you think about that question? Are you afraid about the new year? Afraid about the holidays? Afraid about being around family? That's always challenging. Afraid about finances? Afraid about the job? Afraid about what 2024 might bring? Afraid about what God might think of you? Afraid about whether God really loves you? We have this battle of fear within us. So I want to say two things to that. One is, do not be afraid. The Bible says it 365 times. That's one a day for a year. So maybe your take home today, if nothing else, maybe what you go home with today is you say, I'm going to start 2024 and every day I'm going to take one of those phrases from the Bible, one of those do not be afraid. I'm going to use one every day. And I'm going to say it to myself every day for the whole year, 2024. Do not be afraid today because God's perfect love drives out fear. By the way, do you know how many times the word love is used in the Bible? The English Standard Version uses the word love 551 times, which is a lot. Because the only word in the Bible used more than, than love is Lord. 
And all of the variations of Lord, Lord God, Lord Jesus, 7,000 of those. The next most used word is love. And that phrase, do not be afraid, 365 times. I think we might be able to learn something, and that's kind of occurring to me as I'm listing those numbers out. First and foremost, 7,000 times tell yourself that Jesus is Lord. And then next, almost 600 times tell yourself that Jesus loves you. And then just below that, once a day for the next year, tell yourself, do not be afraid. Why do not be afraid? Because perfect love casts out fear. So where do, how do we get a hold of that perfect love? How do I internalize that? How do I take it in? Because the truth is I'm still afraid and nothing's driving this fear out. We find it in Jesus. We find it in letting his love fill us in recognizing this. Jesus said this about love. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one life for one's friends. And you are my friends, he says. There's no greater love, Jesus says, than to lay down your life for your friends. That's what Jesus came here for. Jesus came here to lay down his life for his friends. So we remember Jesus at Christmas time as a baby. We, re- we remember him in a manger. We remember him wrapped in swaddling clothes. We remember the shepherds worshiping him and the, and the magi worshiping him and Mary and Joseph's story. But that's not where it ends. We have to remember to expand our thinking. We have to remember that the Christmas story is the beginning of Jesus' story here on earth, that it goes somewhere, that he came here for a reason, and the reason he came was to go to the cross, that he lived that perfect life, and he went to the cross where he bled and died for me, because greater love has no one than this, than Jesus gave up his life for me. No one loves you more than this. Jesus laid down his life for you. No one loves you more than this. Jesus gave up his perfectly innocent life for you. No one loves you more than this. Jesus sacrificed his life for you. Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh. That man in the flesh went to the cross, died an excruciating death so that we could be redeemed, we can be saved. How does that drive out fear? Let's go back in our understanding to the garden. When Adam and Eve were in perfect relationship with God, there was no fear. It didn't exist. They didn't even have a word for it. When the relationship was broken, fear came in. Now they're afraid. All these years now, all these years, we're living in fear. We're living in fear. We're living in fear all the way up to us today. until we let Jesus wash our sins, until we let Jesus make the relationship right between us and the Father. That perfect love casts out the fear that started back in the garden. I don't need to be afraid of God. Perfect fear, perfect love casts out fear because I don't need to be afraid of punishment, that verse is. I don't have to be afraid to stand before God and say, oh, what's he going to say about me? Am I going to get what I deserve? Because in my heart, I know I deserve punishment. But when I embrace his grace and mercy, that fear is gone. So let me bring us back around to our love verse for Christmas. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Love is the most powerful force in this universe. And God loved you this way, with words of affirmation. He told you, I love you. I'm doing this for you. He let us touch him. He gave us the greatest act of service and kindness that we've, anyone has ever seen on this planet. He gives us quality time. I'll be with you forever. And gifts, the greatest gift he gave us, his son. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. God loves us. God loves you. That's what we're celebrating today for Christmas. And we're going to remember it in communion. So I'm going to call the worship team back up here as we finish up our time together. And if, um, if you picked up one of these cups on the way in, um, take it out now so you'll be ready in a moment. If you did not pick up one of these cups on the way in, just put your hand up. And I've got a couple of our church elders ready with supplies to bring one to you so you can have it as we remember Jesus on the cross today. And as you do, I'd have to say, I hope I've made the connection well enough so that we don't say, why are we celebrating communion on Christmas Day? Because maybe there's not a better time to celebrate communion than Christmas Day because it's the whole reason Jesus came, so that he could go to the cross. Our Emmanuel, our God with us, that's who was nailed there, Jesus in the flesh. And the blood that was spilled, that was Jesus stomping the head of Satan. So that's what we're going to remember together. I'm not going to do it with the traditional verses. Typically, I would read from a couple of different places in the Bible that say something like this. Uh, On that night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks and he said, this is my body taken uh, for you. Um, Eat this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup and he said, "Uh, drink this cup. It's a new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. I'm going to read a couple of different verses today about uh, taking the, uh, the bread and the cup. First one, I, I paraphrased earlier, Luke 2, 10 through 12. says, The angel said to them, to the shepherds, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Would you open the top of your foil, please, and take the bread out? And as you hold this in your hand, remember that our Emmanuel, our God with us, came in the flesh. That that baby was born in an actual body that grew up to be the man Jesus. That was the body that got nailed to the cross, our Emmanuel, God with us. So when we eat this bread together, we're remembering the body of Jesus nailed to the cross. Take a moment and say thank you, and then let's eat this bread together. Thank you. off the next layer, please, and expose the the juice. This baby, Emmanuel, God with us, who grew up into Jesus, 
lived a perfectly sinless life, absolutely holy, absolutely pure. It says this about him, though, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Him who had no sin. God on the cross laid all of our sin upon him as he died and as he bled. And Jesus said, let this blood remind you of that. So when we drink this cup, we're remembering the blood of Jesus, that him who knew no sin became sin for us, and his shed blood washes us clean. Say a moment of thank you in your seat, and then we'll take this cup together. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. It's easy to say love, and, and God loved us, and God so loved the world, but today, help us to really take that in. Help us today to really remember the full extent of your love, that you didn't just say you loved us from heaven. You didn't just leave us in this place of fear and brokenness with you, but you did something about it, and you came here, and you became our Savior. Help us really really bring that in. Let it touch home. And so God, I want to pray a really big prayer right here, right now from here over every person in this room. And I know there is no prayer too big for you. I could pray this for one person. I could pray it for a thousand. So I pray this prayer right now for every person in this room that somewhere, sometime, somehow over this next few days of Christmas, everyone in this room would have an aha moment about your love. That everyone in this room you would speak to, everyone in this room, every person, Holy Spirit, you would just give a moment where it comes into their mind or into their heart or washes over their body where they just say, wow, God really loves me. God really loves me. I know that's not a prayer too big for you, Lord. So I pray that you would do it for each one of us in this room and for those of us at home who couldn't make it here today. In the name of the one who loves us deeply and dearly, Jesus Christ, amen.